you're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars Podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Rockstars, this is my 100th episode of the Restaurant Rockstars Podcast, so it's a really big deal for me. Along the way, we've heard from industry leaders, companies with leading-edge technology, and innovative entrepreneurs with big ideas. So I'm super excited to bring you today's guest, who encompasses the true art and definition of hospitality on a national and global level. He speaks of his triumphs, his big deals gone awry, and future opportunities, always with optimism, grace, and grand vision. Don't miss this big 100th episode. I'm really glad you're here. Listen on. Welcome back, Rockstars, to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast, engaging topics to help restaurants build their brands, rock their profits, and deliver amazing guest service experiences. If you're a regular listener, you know that I'm a huge believer in systems. Otherwise, you're tied to your business, and if you want to expand and grow and franchise, or even sell your business. You really need systems in place. So I'm really excited to introduce Mr. Fred Forsley today. He is the president of Shipyard Brewing Company, which is the largest brewery in Maine. He's a multifaceted entrepreneur. Welcome to the show today, Fred. Hey, good morning. I'm really glad you're here. You know, Fred, you've got a multifaceted business enterprise. You've got Captain Eli's Soda Company. You've got Federal Jack's, which really started it all. The Sea Dog Brewing Companies, numerous restaurants. You've got airport, brew pubs, all sorts of stuff going on. You're even in the hospitality and in business, the Inn at Peaks Island. So I know you had some early influences to entrepreneurship. Why don't we start there? What's your backstory? I know you started at a very young age. Yeah, Roger. My Actually, my dad was a, a World War II vet, and he and my mother started a home for veterans in Gray, Maine. He was a prisoner of war in the South Pacific, and uh, he started this home, which basically, as a young child, that actually was a business. Even though he was a psychologist and a therapist, we all had to play a part in that family business. So I started there and then got an early exposure to real estate, became a real estate broker at 19. And from real estate and being exposed to running your own, you know, really as a real estate broker, you run your own little business. I got exposed to a lot of different things and it evolved from there. And that's why I ended up in the beer business with a failed real estate deal in Kennebunk Port Harbor back in 19. uh, Well, it started in 89 and uh, opened the brewery in 92. That's a really, really fascinating beginning, Fred. You just mentioned that this was sort of a failing uh, real estate venture in Kennebunkport, or it was a deal that fell through, but I think this was sort of a uh, on the wrong side of the tracks kind of place, and Kennebunkport was a really, really growing tourist destination. You saw an opportunity. Is that kind of how it all started? Exactly. It was on the wrong side of the river. They they used to call the area Taint Town. And uh, it was vacant at the time. I had a woman in a lobster suit when I first opened out front on the street waving people in. And I never forget the first 4th of July, there was, you know, 5,000 people in the center of Kennebunkport and there wasn't 10 people, nine people in the brew pub. So, you know, we had to create events and great uh, experience to bring people over and now today 25 years later i would dare say one of the top brew pubs in the country and uh 
you know, last summer was one of our best summers. That's awesome. You know, it sounds to me like when you first started, you didn't really know anything or much about the restaurant or the brewery business. So how did you um, immerse yourself and create that early success? Basically, I got involved with people that really did know what they're doing and they were seen as kind of leaders at the time in their category. Richard Pfeffer had owned Gritty McDuff's. I tried to get him to come in as a tenant and he actually introduced me to Alan Pugsley and Alan at the time was consulting. Alan's an English guy who consulted on a number of breweries and uh, from there, yeah, I never worked in the restaurant. I've been a doorman at bars and restaurants in college. So really then I tried to attract the best people to work for me and I put a lot of faith in, I think, our key people. Some of them are still with me 25 years later, would say that they're, you know, we give them a lot of opportunity to do what they do well. I love that story, Fred. So the original place, which is still in business today and is still part of your fold, is called Federal Jacks, and that is in Kennebunkport. Now, let's talk about how the brewing and the restaurant came together. Did one come before the other? I mean, how did you get into brewing? I mean, you just mentioned Alan Pugsley being the brewmaster. Did you start the whole thing simultaneously as a brew pub restaurant? Well, the interesting part was we were only, I was a real estate guy. I I raised the money to put the brewery in. Kennebunkport Brewing downstairs from what was then called the Lobster Deck. Technically, we're in Kennebunk, but at the time, you know, Kennebunkport was getting a lot of exposure because of George Bush. So we leveraged that exposure and we were selling the beer upstairs to the gentleman that owned the Lobster Deck. And to be honest with you, what happened there was he didn't really uh, want to concentrate on promoting just our beers, and that led me to ultimately buy him out, a long story over three seasons, and ultimately run the whole upper level, which was really separated in two separate spaces. We ultimately run it as one space now. So there was an evolution in the early years at trying to get to what really would work well. So yes, I didn't. I opened it with the understanding that I was going to be the funding agent and help coordinate and be the business guy behind it. But we ultimately took it over and, and ran it because the, uh, the gentleman on the lobster deck and his wife, they uh, went separate ways. And he said, I don't want to run it. And next thing you know, I'm running a brewery. And then the next year, I'm running the whole place or a year and a half. Okay. So then you drive north about an hour plus to Portland, Maine, beautiful seacoast town on the on the coast of Maine. And now there's another sort of area in need of revitalization where you're now your base of operations, the shipyard brewing company. So how did you evolve into that space? And take us through that whole thing. Because of my background in real estate, I actually owned a, a small property around the corner, um, what was on a street called India Street. And the property was in an area of town that had a number of uh, vacated buildings that were abandoned and, and they were still owned by people, but they weren't occupied. And there was a large piece of property, 4.3 acres of property called the Crosby Laughlin plant. It was an abandoned foundry and I uh, was in a bankrupt trust. And I always saw it as a valuable piece of property because it was on a location that overlooked the ocean. And at the time, the harbor was not as pristine as it is today. It was more of a working harbor. Today, you know, 24 years later, it's become a a tourist town almost, Portland. But at the time, I worked with the city to get some incentives through a TIF, tax incremental financing. And I kind of put it together over a period of two years and actually was able to buy the property at a very aggressive price. 
and um, got a TIF, which was, it was a 10-year TIF in which I could take whatever property tax value increase and put that back into the property. And we started small at 5,000 square feet. And now we occupy 100,000 square feet. And now there are three hotels located around us and the whole area is kind of grown up and there's no vacant property. So over a 25-year period, it's still kind of the vision the city had and we had kind of came through, well, did come through. So that's one of our main brewing areas now is, is right here in Portland, Maine. Now, there's so much to your story, Fred. We get into Sea Dog Brewing Company and different restaurants. We also had exposure with Miller Brewing, and I want to hear all about that because at one point you got involved with a Miller Brewing Company. And then, obviously, there's the brew pubs and the airports. Take us through all this stuff. Yeah, so it's a, it is. There's a lot of different things. So I'll start where we are today. Where we are today, where we basically have 13 locations Eight Sea Dog brew pubs uh, from one in Orlando to Clearwater to we just opened one up in St. Pete, Treasure Island on the water. Over 900 employees and uh, some great people have been with us for many, many years. So I started after the Portland location. We were the fastest growing brewery in the country in 1996. And the great thing was we were growing. The bad thing was we needed a lot of capital. And at the time, I went out to a lot of different players and Miller Brewing was trying to put together a craft division. They had bought half of Salas Brewing in Austin, Texas. They owned Leinenkugel. And I met Jake Leinenkugel. Long story short, they bought 50% of the brewery. And uh, from 97 to 2000, they were a partner. And it went really well for 18 months. And then when Philip Morris, who owned Miller, realized that Miller Lite was in trouble. They basically said, we don't want anybody to focus on anything. They also, other than Miller Lite Miller, they also owned Molson, uh, rights to Molson in the U.S. at the time. And basically everything fell apart and they just focused on Miller and Miller Lite. And I lost my um, support on the sales side. So luckily I was able to buy it back in 2000. And I still, to this day, am friendly with a couple key people. They ultimately sold out to South African breweries and South African breweries have just recently sold to InBev. So their whole strategy of selling Miller, Philip Moore's strategy paid off big for them because they rolled that into a um, billion dollars worth of return. They kept some of Miller and Miller sold to InBev for over a hundred billion, you know, three years ago. So long story short, that was probably the most a uh, beneficial and frustrating partnership I ever had. Beneficial because they, they came in with capital and uh, distribution, and but when they shut off that energy and money and, and distribution, we fell down to a very low level of 18,000 barrels, and now we're over 120,000 barrels. So it's, um, you know, those those are some big things with our company. As we bought it back, we started to have great success with a brand called Pumpkinhead. And basically, it was one of the leading brands of our company, which led to the company to grow 30% a year from the year 2000, the year we bought it back, to where we are today. And now it's seen as one of the top uh, national pumpkin beers in the world, really. So basically, that was kind of a key point. But when they started to hiccup on supporting me, they agreed to allow me to pursue other breweries and other interests. And at the time, a Sea Dog Brewing Company was in trouble, and I bought it out of bankruptcy, and we grew the brew pub side. So that led me more into the brew pub business. Uh, recently, in the last three years, we've opened up 
three new sea dogs and we're we're about to open up a new one in march we're under construction in exeter new hampshire we're looking at another location in um, newport rhode island so we're still looking very aggressively to grow the sea dog brew pub concept we've had some great success in licensing shipyard to host marriott which operates uh brew themed pubs in airports but we actually owned our own brewery in the orlando airport for five years from 96 to 2000 that was an exciting thing because it was only actual brewery brewing large amounts of beer in an airport and some people that went through the orlando airport in those days would remember it so we've had some great experiences over the years i'm 57 and probably never been more excited about the beer business probably never been more challenged but um, still, as you know, Roger, when we met last time, having a few beers, it, it's a fun, fun, fun business. But it is a business, and if you, you work hard, you can you can definitely succeed. But it's it's got all the pitfalls and more of, of any business, uh, especially you know restaurants. When you look at how dynamic they are and how complicated, it's a simple business, but complicated. Wow, that is such a fascinating story in history. I knew that you started out obviously in the local main markets and then you spread out regionally and then you got down into the Florida area. But now I think you said that you are national. Is that with uh, all the different brands that you're producing or is that specific brands? Well, Pumpkinhead has been one of the biggest uh, door openers. We sell Pumpkinhead. Pumpkinhead almost makes it to every state. And if you can't get it, get a hold of me or get a hold of your local distributor and see who does sell it. But basically, you know, every, every August we start shipping. The other brand that's national and pretty much does well without a lot of hand selling is the Sea Dog Blue Paw and now Sea Dog Sunfish. But the blueberry, you know, it's probably the, one of the number one blueberry beers in the country. And, um, you know, the Yard House chain, it's been one of their top sellers on draft for years. And, uh, you know, that does really well. And, you know, really well is to sell five to 700 cases in Arkansas or something like that, or 10,000 to 20,000 cases in California. But yeah, we ship uh, those two brands. We do get calls for our Monkey Fist and now our Island Time IPA in a lot of other states, and we do ship our export. We have a relationship where we can probably get beer anywhere in the country, but our primary areas are New York, New Jersey, New England, and we focus on Florida, California. We can get our beer anywhere, but we, those are our primary areas. Recently, I just did a joint venture where I'm a minority partner in Michigan, Travis City, Michigan, and we licensed the Monkey Fist Brewing Company name, and we're doing a bunch of beers with some friends of mine up there. We've got unique relationships in the St. John with Chirag and his partners uh, down there. Basically, it's um, we brew uh, a beer here that they formulated, and they come up and brew, and then they serve some of our beers down in St. John at Mongoose Junction. They've had a terrible tragic year with the storms and uh, they're trying to rebuild well they are rebuilding but it's definitely you know hurt them and uh, great great people so we've got some unique relationships our biggest success story recently is with marston's in the uk and we're presently on our way to being the number one on-premise craft beer in the uk with our collaboration with Marston's, which is, uh, they own seven breweries and they run over 2000 pubs and they sell to free pub holds that they call them, you know, independent guys. We're selling close to, uh, 26,000 barrels and growing in the UK and very exciting because there's a chain of restaurants called JD Witherspoon, 
and um, they have over 900 locations and 50 inns. And if you Google it when you're over there, you can go visit at Witherspoon, and they have the same menu at every location for beer and their drink menu, and pretty much the same on food, and they're a great value, but every location is a little different. They've renovated um, movies, uh, houses, and uh, churches, and created really cool spaces. They have like 14 in Ireland. They have a number of them in England. And it's so exciting to be partners with this company because it's a public company and it's a major, major relationship. But I'm personally friendly with a number of the people in the company and they visited Portland, Maine. They've stayed at our homes. They've last year we had 11 come visit. Uh, we got them on a tall ship in, in the harbor. We ended up winning the race. And I picked them up at the airport with a about 10 cases of beer and brought them to Portland. I picked them up in Boston. By the time we get to Portland, the beer was gone. So that just tells you the type of crowd we we had. So I spent four days with them and then I needed to check into rehab after that. But um, we have a lot of fun. I, you know, this one guy, Dave Saunders, who mentioned me, Fred, I'm going to visit you in July. So of course, what day does he show up? July 4th. And uh, I said, geez, it's kind of a holiday here. We got a bunch of family things going on. He says, that's no problem. He says, not a holiday for us as a joke. (laughs) But anyways, I brought him to all the parties and he was a big hit because he's a character. But um, we have, uh, you know, you get these unique relationships down in Key West. We have um, Pat Croce chain of uh, locations are all different. It's the Green Parrot, the Half Shell, the... Um, there's a tower bar and, and, uh, they sell and promote shipyard there. And it, we've become personal friends with the guys that own it. Uh, Pat Croach used to own the 76ers and, uh, you know, it's, it's just cool stuff. Recently, I just got involved in, I'm a minority partner in this brand called South beach brewing. And they have, uh, there's a guy, uh, Loren- there's a, there's a whole team of people, um, Lorenzo, who's the president, but this, uh, Anthony Sullivan of OxyClean is a partner in the deal. He fell in love with the brand cause it's, it's got electrolytes in it and it's a, it's a very easy drinking beer, but it's, um, handcrafted and we help formulate it. So a lot of exciting stuff. I really want to talk about the challenges of growing a multifaceted enterprise. Uh, you talked about this being the business of relationships. It certainly is. It's a fun business. You're you're a really socially outgoing guy, Fred. A lot of fun to hang out with. So obviously, networking is is a part of your success as well. But you know, you couldn't do any of this stuff without having systems in place and hiring great people and being able to delegate all the key functions of these multifaceted businesses to others. Like, how did you put these systems in place and what were some of those big growing pains and challenges to get those systems in place? You know, I think the biggest thing was, you know, in my mind, it always, my mother used to say, if you can't leave your business, it owns you, you don't own it. And but she didn't always take that advice because she was she did like six people's jobs. I, I think you got to start with the wherever you can, the right people, and they'll either purchase or seek out the right systems or build the right systems. You know, and it started with me with Alan Pugsley and and Bruce Forsley, who you set up some systems for you know sales relationships. But recently, especially in the last three to six years, I think you've seen a lot of ability to buy into technology that is proven to build systems that that can really help restaurants and before all that i think you got to have a good bank or a good lender 
or somebody who can write and insist in uh, helping you through difficult times, provided you know the model works. So if once you do that, the first system we bought was the brewing system, and that was a Pugsley system, and that was a, it was a lot of hand-crafted beer, but the brewing process was eight days. So the key to that system was it was four days, four days quicker than any other brewery at the time that was built out there. That was a big point. The second system, you know, we really had to buy was a POS system. And, you know, that's the bane of your existence. And in in reality, they can work for you and against you. And that's a huge area in the in the um, restaurant business. I think that keeps getting better and better and better. And you really got to keep your eyes open. We had a disastrous situation trying to go to a, a SMS system on our brewery in which you know, we had to abandon it in the middle of it and we ended up losing a great deal of money. And my advice there would be find somebody that's already, don't be the guy that tests it. Don't be, your time and energy has such a value to it. You're better off doing it by hand if it hasn't worked for at least, you know, at least three to a thousand other people you might put your hand on because that whole thing of, you know, we were seen as a beta test and it turned out to be a disaster. So try to buy good equipment that's proven, try to buy into systems that are proven because at the end of the day, someone walks into a restaurant, they want to see a smiling face. Most people, they want to see a clean restaurant and they want to walk out with a smile. And the more things that, you know, take away from customer service, you know, and human interaction, because we're going so far away from human interaction. Uh, it, it's so funny. You know, recently I was in New York City and I was looking for a pumpkin head. And uh, I went into three different bars and I finally found one. But the bartender was so, uh, such a poor experience. I, I, I had one and left. Uh, luckily, I, you know, went around the corner and found another one that had pumpkin head. I'm searching for the location name of my brain here. But anyways, that bartender made the whole experience so great. I had six of them. And that's the truth. I stayed and watched the football games. I hung out all afternoon. But I would have been in the other bar for at least that amount. You know what I'm saying? And the experience is key. So you got to have good people. Fred, what is a typical day in your life like business-wise? Like you get up today, tomorrow, it's like, what's your day going to be like on a typical day? I mean, you're traveling quite a bit, I'm sure, but is every single day different? And today I'm going to focus on Sea Dog, and, you know, tomorrow I'm going to focus on this particular enterprise and then I'm going to go down to Florida and oversee this new development down there. And you mentioned a new place in Newport, Rhode Island. I mean, you're all over the map. Like, how do you put it all together? Yeah, it's, um, I'll just give you my last you know, in the last week, I've been between um, Miami, uh, Fort Lauderdale, Tampa, um, Boston, and now I'm in Portland, Maine. And I get up, I usually get up around four thirty, five o'clock, and you go online and look at all the emails and respond to them. And today, for example, um, my real estate hat on, I'm trying to lease some space and interfacing with uh a company called Cloudport that's a that's a, t- a temporary well it's it's a flex office space and talking to a guy in Madrid that owns it and uh, he's trying to get he may expand and from there I've been talking with uh, our sales team about what's going on called the local retailer about you know they're gonna put our window beer on or not had a discussion about the hotel that's going across the street and contacting him and then talk to the owner, the real estate guy on um, Newport deal, um, going over the business deal. And then 
walk through the breweries, you know, connect with, uh, and my mother used to say, footsteps of the farmer irrigates the fields. So, you know, and, and uh, at the end of the day, if you don't see people, and what she meant by that, you got to see what's going on. So I like to walk through the brewery, talk to, when I'm traveling, I talk to probably, I end up talking to nine people in my company to find out what's going on and then cross check between the two or three of them to make sure we know. And you still miss a lot, but so that's, that's like, you know, um, what happens and what's one of the crazy things recently in the last three years that it's been a huge benefit for me is Uber and Uber drivers. I'll take an Uber drive, you know, like in Miami, I, I met a guy named Nick who was a retired military guy and I can call him. He'll go do, you know, he's, he's a great guy. He'll pick me up at the airport. He'll do whatever. And, uh, I don't even own a car anymore. And I found, I find that the, the local Uber drivers are a great source of, uh, of information. (laughs) I see that. Yeah. But, um, so that's a tip, you know, I'm lucky enough to have, uh, you know, some good people. Um, and, and the key really is try not to, uh, not communicate with them, um, on a regular basis because people get into their own silos. Um, uh, you know, and you can't really, you can't really, connect with them. If you give them, if you, you disconnect for a week and they're active, you know, you, you're going to miss a lot. How would you describe your management style? Very loose. <laughs> I mean, I'm probably a bad example for, um, I'm, a, I'm, you know, it's like, if you had to say like the, you know, six minute manager, yes. well, give me, give me, give me the top three or four things you got that I can help you with. And then the stuff you got covered, you know, just, just, you don't need to bother me with it. I assume you got it covered, but, but ask a question, um, you know, ask a question and I'll answer it. If you don't ask it and you should have, I'll get upset with you. If you, if you blow something up and you didn't ask me, um, it's a lot, you're in more trouble than if you didn't, you know? So I, I'm a big guy on, you know, not having these three page emails and a big guy on a, on a three sentence text or a quick call, uh, yes, no answer on my end and keep moving because if I haven't hired the right person to know 90% of the small answers, I got the wrong person. Let's talk about partnerships. Um, you know, a long time ago when I first started my first restaurant, a chef that I had hired, I had probably only had this person in my business for a couple of months. And I obviously didn't know anything about the restaurant business when I started. I'm very transparent about saying that. And I had to learn as I went along. It was the school of hard knocks. I put a lot of systems in place because I had, you know, a business school education. And and it really led to my success. But I almost, you know, it, it could have been a bad thing for me to give equity in a fledgling business to someone that I didn't really need, that wasn't a great relationship, that wasn't going to last. But I think this happens to restaurateurs all the time where they feel like, they're dependent on a key person in their organization, a chef, or maybe even it's a brewmaster like in your situation. And there's endless stories about partnerships going bad, but for you, it's really worked out well. Would you give any advice to operators out there that are confronting this question? You know, put a deal together that if you have to exit or you have to change things, you've already got a, a simpler solution. You know what I mean? It's when people end up in these relationships and then they and they don't get along and then it becomes a, a nightmare getting out of them. And it's, you know, a marriage is, is very similar to a partnership. You take away this, you know, 
having kids and all that fun stuff. But, um, you know, and at the end of the day, if you have the financial capability, um, I would say keep control going in and have it as spelled out as much as possible. And a lot of times with key employees, you can do stuff with phantom stock, which is less controlling than actual stock. And um, I've used phantom stock agreements, almost like employment agreements that have been very successful. I have a gentleman that just retired, Joe Tynan in uh, Kennebunk. He worked with me for 20, almost 23 years. And uh, he had, uh, you know, I won't say the exact percentage, but it was substantial. And now we have a retirement structure in which he's getting, you know, he's getting basically uh, what he was getting when he was working almost. And it's a true success story. And we've had others that have failed and you go into binding arbitration and you get it resolved and you move on, you know? So you have to have something that's clear. If you don't, you know, people can be in tough shape, you know, with uh, your employee. You know, I like to say nine out of 10 restaurants fail and they don't always fail because it's not doing well. If you get a, if you get two, three partners, it's going really well, but they all think they ought to go in different directions. And that can, that can uh, be a problem because you're not, you're affecting the day-to-day operations, you know? So anything you do, you need to think about how do we do this without affecting day-to-day operations and the the employees don't get tangled up in it. Now, if it's a small company and you got three people, very difficult to do this because everybody wants to be equal. Everybody feels they gave as much, but then it's a function of where did the cash come from and who signed on the debt and all those types of decisions. Let's quickly shift gears to the hospitality and inside of things. First of all, I'm going to tell my listeners, if you're ever looking for an amazing getaway, the state of Maine is absolutely beautiful. You fly into Portland, is an old uh, seaport called the Old Port, and then you jump on a ferry 20 minutes offshore is Peaks Island. And Fred owns an operation called the Inn on Peaks Island, and it's that classic New England, the salt air and the breezes and the beautiful uh, architecture and the geraniums and the window boxes and all that kind of stuff. Beautiful views of Casco Bay and downtown Portland, Maine. How did you get into the Inn on Peaks Island, and is that leading you to other hotel operations, Fred? Well, it was a again, it was a failed situation. It was uh, up for auction. Um, I made the mistake of bringing my wife out there. It was the most conservative uh, person always says, no, Judy doesn't really love to do more deals. She'd rather we just stick with what we have. So I thought we'll go out here and spend the night. It was in March and, and she'll say, well, it's nice, but we're not, we're, you know, it was too much to get out to the island or whatever. So of course I go out there. It's a beautiful night. We have a great time on the boat ride home. She says, we need to buy this. So, so that's, how, <laughs> so that's how, uh, I got into it. But, um, yeah, so it's right off the, coast of Portland, uh, to seven room in at the time was failed because the, the way the kitchen was designed and the business was designed, it really didn't work as a business. And we reworked the whole relationship. We got involved with a Jim Champy productions who was a great, um, promoter of weddings. And, uh, we focused on the wedding business as really the primary business of the property. The inn, the rooms make some money, but seven rooms aren't enough to make any real money. Really should be 20 or 30 or 40 or 100. So, but we did, um, we've averaged about 40 weddings a season for the last six years. And uh, it's a lot of work. We got uh, key general manager, uh, 
Fred Heyman, who also runs a play, our place in Orlando, but he has a great team. Uh, Jason Matthews is the event coordinator, um, you know, sells all the events, and he's got a good team under him. And, and it wasn't until uh, Jason came on board and focused, you know, a clear picture on the weddings that the model really worked, and that was about uh, seven, eight, nine years ago. It took about three years to get it to where it needed to be, and now it's been, now it's been working well. That is a great learning as well. I know we did quite a few um, weddings in the off season at our place years and years ago. So that's a great additional profit center. I'm a huge believer when you have a restaurant business to expand into multiple profit centers, whether that be catering, weddings, whatnot. I actually stayed at the Inn on Peaks many years ago with my wife. It's got a nautical theme. Uh, you did a beautiful renovation, and it's just got such a, a unique, amazing, well, New England feel to it. So I'm glad we talked about that. Let's finish up, Fred, with a retail business. You also sell quite a bit of retail merchandise based on all your different um, brewing brands, Sea Dog, Shipyard, whatnot. You've got bricks and mortar stores, but you also have a website, shipyard.com, and you sell quite a bit of really great stuff on the website as well. So that's a getting to be a bigger part of your business, isn't it? Have you sort of vertically integrated? Now you own silk screening places and all that too? Yeah, basically the first marketing tool we had was a tap handle. The second one was a t-shirt. And I saw the power of the t-shirt sales in Kennebunkport just because of the branding of Kennebunkport. I was Actually, in um, while I was putting the deal together, we were on vacation in Margarita Island, uh, Venezuela, and this guy had a Kennebunkport shirt on, and and just dawned on me that geez, we got to have it, it's we just got to have T-shirts and take advantage of this. So, you know, consequently, at the time, you know, I was married to my first wife, Margaret, and she focused on the retail sales, which is a key point. You got to have somebody focus on retail, and. Um, and that really was a big benefit um, to the business. And, 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 I, and I would say this to that point about working with your spouse, there's a lot of hazards in that. Um, I presently work with uh, my wife, Judy Forsley, and she's an amazing CPA and has a great uh, business sense and has done a great job focusing on her part. But the, I think the key to business is making sure you can balance family and balance the business and keep it as separate as possible and, um, you know, focus that that's a whole nother partnership that could be another hour discussion, but, or longer. But in, in reality, I've been lucky enough to work with a lot of family members. And the key there is to, you know, leave as much of the family side of things outside of the business and try to focus on things that, that you can. But the, the whole retail business is somebody has to own it, work hard at it. I have a woman named Irina Black at the Portland store. This girl, uh, Becky in, um, in Kennebunkport. And in, well, whenever we open up a new location, we try to find somebody who can kind of own the retail because in and of itself, it can be huge. You know, you can do, you can do a million dollars or $2 million and re, you know, you look at the black dog in, uh, in the case. Yeah. You, you know, it becomes a business in its own. So, I think that's a very key thing. Don't try to chase it if the if you don't feel um, either the location or the brand. You know, if it's Joe's Diner and there's no reason for someone to buy a shirt, unless whatever, then then that could be a bad place to put a lot of money and effort too. But if you got a town that people want to walk away with a souvenir, leverage it. Absolutely true. We had quite a bit of a retail business as well. And that's another nugget of information for operators. And, and that was great advice, Fred. If you've got 
Well, actually, what I'm what I'm going to say is one of my mantras is don't be a restaurant, be a brand. Think of your business as a brand, develop that brand. And certainly, Fred, you've done that with all of your different brands. Is there anything we didn't hit today that you yeah. want to cover, Fred, that anything I've missed? I think you just really nailed it. If you can create a brand from your restaurant, you've become, you know, you've, you've really done something. And it doesn't have to be you're going to do 100 locations or even a second location. It just... You know, I mean, you know, the one DeMillo's restaurant, Portland, Maine, the floating restaurant. I mean, they created, yes. they created a yes. brand, you know, I got, um, there's so many places that you could name that they actually did it. And then there's so many that they don't and they never get there. And uh, no, I just, um, I really uh, enjoyed talking to you, Roger, and hopefully they said some things that will help people with what they're trying to accomplish. And we're real accessible. I mean, my email is fforsley at shipyard.com. And if uh, you got a spot that I can put some shipyard, if you're a restaurant person and I'm looking to do theme pubs, I'm looking to do all kinds of stuff all over the all over the world. So don't hesitate to reach out. Um, I'm sure you'll put that on my side of today. You can go on Facebook or you can go on whatever. You can Google me, find out more about me than I know about myself pretty much. So it was kind of scary. Uh, last night, Judy and I were going online and um, – and, and you Google yourself and some crazy stuff pops up. Half is not true, but at the same time, it's pretty crazy what the world we're living in today than when you and I started in the business. Why don't you throw out your Twitter handle, Fred, if you don't mind? I, I'd like to include that as well and maybe even how people could reach you on Facebook. I, I really don't do Twitter personally. Um, I just do Facebook. So it's just, you know, Fred Forsley, Fred M. Forsley. Perfect. I'm going to include that in the show notes. It's been a great episode, Fred. I certainly appreciate your time and sharing all your key information uh, with the audience. Boy, we covered a lot today and I wish you the best of success in the future. Uh, you've got so many deals on the table. That's so exciting. You're an inspiration to the industry. So thanks for what you do. And uh, I'm going to have a shipyard. My favorite is still the export. Is that still your flagship? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we just have gotten done a whole new repackaging, and uh, it's still the same beer, and it's still uh, still going strong. Um, there's so much competition today, it's it's crazy, but at the end of the day, it's still a lot of people's favorite, so I love hearing that. Chances are, if you're a listener, no matter where you are, you can find one of Fred's beer brands out there. So go enjoy. That was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Listening to, to the, the Restaurant, Restaurant Rockstars, Rockstars podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. And while you're there, download a copy of the book, Rock Your Restaurant. It's a game changer. See you next time.